feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun. Open wide for some soccer. I don't care what you think about, what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Call college rule! Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. Dom and Chris here. And uh, before we get into today's episode, uh, I just wanted to uh, let you know that we are a couple of comics who enjoy talking sports. But also, if you are a fan of any of our episodes that we're putting out, uh, give us a like, follow, and subscribe on like Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and uh, our YouTube page. Yeah, trying to get that YouTube page up. Uh, let me give a quick promo to you. Dom's about to release a, a CD with a couple other comics here in Tucson called uh, Tucson Bullies Volume 2. Please check that out. I imagine it's going to come out right around when this episode comes out. So, Most likely, uh, yeah. If you want to hear Dom do some stand-up, check that out. And like you said, subscribe, like, comment, all that good stuff. Who are we talking about today? Today we're back on the baseball diamond. Ooh, it was somebody who uh, had a small career, but man, is it memorable. Oh, it is very memorable. Uh, he uh, definitely made a name for himself in basically the four or five seasons he played professional baseball. I don't think anybody played less professional sports and influenced pop culture more to make fun of him. Here we are talking yeah. about John Rocker, baby. John Rocker, baby. Atlanta Whew. Braves closer, John Loy Rocker, born uh, October 17th, 1974 in Statesboro, Georgia. Yeah. Um, was a very good athlete, like all of the athletes we seem to talk about. Uh, grew up playing football, basketball, and baseball. Um, his dad, Jake, was an executive at the Georgia Farm Bureau Insurance Company, and his mom, Judy, ran an ad agency out of her house. And John, uh, while he was good at sports as a kid, Baseball was always uh, what uh, he was drawn to. Definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, you see in his high school career, he was a pitcher even back then, and it was one of those guys who it was kind of obvious that he had a pathway to being a major league uh, pitcher. You yeah. Know? We're at least given a shot, you know, a pathway to the minors, let's say that, because yeah. that, that jump is insane. But, he was uh, a fireball and lefty. That's right. Very uh, good fastball and a very sweeping slider and uh, dominated his high school competition at uh, Presbyterian Day School over there in Macon, Georgia, and as a senior in 1993, had three no-hitters and two 16-strikeout games. Yeah, so he was just one of these great high school pitchers that uh, colleges and we see uh, pro teams end up uh, drafting him. So he's actually committed to the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, and I mean, he uh, definitely not an unintelligent person. Um, definitely, uh, I think they, I had read he had a 3.5 grade average in high school. Um, and unfortunately for John... Um, despite the fact that he's a hard-throwing lefty starter. Um, Major League Baseball teams aren't fans of guys who have college plans. Well, it's interesting because he gets drafted, but we see him get drafted in one of these almost throwaway picks. Yeah, in the 18th round. Yep. This isn't like a Stevie situation uh, where he's playing a different position and, no, and you know someone catches their eye. It's just like, well... He could go there, mm -hmm. but at this juncture, um, we've mentioned it, you know, in passing on this podcast. This is the era where the Braves are just developing pitchers like nobody's business, basically. Well, they really do have this, and like you were saying, they have this like five, six pitchers that come up who are just 
unbelievably elite that really come through their their farm system. Yeah, and uh, all John ever wanted to do was be a baseball player. So um, he discusses it with his family. They have a five year plan. They have an education clause in the contract where if you know he doesn't end up making the majors or doing anything with his baseball career, he'll go back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and did a couple semesters there at Mercer in the state of Georgia. But uh, he signs with the Braves, and it's off to the minors. Yeah, and he just kind of goes through the uh, traditional minor league route that a 19-year-old is going to go through. Yeah, he goes to uh, Danville in uh, 1994. Um, He's a starter at this point, by the way, I should mention. Um, He has some very... uh Interesting antics while he's in the minor leagues. Um, he would bite baseballs while he was on the mound, and uh, sometimes he wouldn't put his glove up and let the catcher, when he threw back to him, hit him in the chest. Very happy Gilmore style in the batting cage. People were saying that he was very, it's like beyond unorthodox, where he was like, is he trying to like intimidate the other team, or is he just kind of out of it? 365 more days till hockey tryouts! Gotta toughen up! Mmm! And then some small child ran to the mound and got blasted by the poor catcher. Um, that year, he had 12 starts, went 1-5 and five with a 3.53 ERA, um, and 63.2 innings pitched. Um, in 95, um, he goes to uh, Macon and Eugene, so he's split between the high and low A ball. Um, goes 5-9 and nine in 28 starts, with uh, has some control issues and has a 4.77 ERA, but 135 strikeouts in 145.1 innings pitched. Well, this is kind of what we see with guys who need to develop is his control isn't there, his speed is there, his, you know... His, his, his antics are fun. Yeah, <laughs> it, well, it, it's, it's interesting because the Braves are willing to develop these guys. Like, if you look at them right now, some organizations might be like nah kid you're just not doing it but they're just like nah we can see that in a couple of years if you develop because he's a huge specimen too that's the other yeah, thing he's six four two ten i mean he's an intimidating guy yes and you know the braves are just loaded with riches as far as starting and relief pitching up and down in the big club and in their minor leagues that they're like yeah he throws 100 miles an hour. Like, we can take a chance. We yep. can let him slowly develop. Mind you, he's only 20, 21 years old at this juncture. Uh, 1996, um, he's with Dur- the Durham Bulls. Yeah, more democratic that way, Chris. Yeah, well, he was throwing too many strikeouts. So, yeah. I mean, there you go. <laughs> and uh, with Macon as well, goes 9-6 and six with a 3.72 ERA and 28 starts. 150 strikeouts and 164.2 innings pitched. But in 1990, uh, 1997, um, he doesn't do such a great job with Greenville and uh, AA there. He goes 5-6 and six with a 4.86 ERA and 18 starts. And Atlanta decides to not keep him as a starter. They want to keep him around. They want to keep him in the organization. But they decide to make him a relief pitcher. And he talks about, at this stage of his life, how he was kind of racked with nerves and indecision and doubt. And they send him down to Puerto Rico to play some winter ball. And he's 22 years old, and the first battery faces, and it's the first professional battery he faces, is Yvonne Rodriguez. Future Hall of Famer, catcher, Pudge Rodriguez. And I saw an interview with him. He was just like, yeah, he was just coming off of his batting title like (laughs) a year or two before. And I believe they had him as middle reliever at this time. So so they were just like, we just want to, you know, see how you do. And to his credit, because I bet a lot of guys are 
unbelievably unsure if they're going to be able to yes if they're going to be able to make it into this next like they see guys these professional ball players they're just like a a step above like it like in bull durham it's just like (laughs) you're in the show man like that kind of shit so like these guys who are in the show are really like a step above and he goes out and he strikes out pudge in four pitches yeah and he was talking about like yeah he was just like i felt so much confidence coming off of that that he was just like i can strike out anybody and to his credit he took that on bro to me being a closer is something i associate with being like a comic almost you have to be at least a little fucked in the head and you have to have that adrenaline pumping at all times and as john rocker even put it every time i went out there i wanted to stick it up somebody's ass well you had to come into bad situations good situations you had to come into them all you know what i mean that's why i like the the closer being like a comic because it's true you're really coming up and you're just like all right, Here we go. Feeling? Yeah, it's like being, it's like hosting a show. It's like, what am I walking into? Let's see where this puppy hit, puppy goes. Yep. But uh, yeah, um, really, really uh, kind of turns it around. And kudos to John Rocker in this instance of taking what could have been like just a morally defeating, like you're not a starter anymore. You won't start with the likes of Maddox and Glavin and Smoltzy. It's like, no, I'm gonna go to the bullpen and fix shit. Well, you know? it's, I mean. Because the Braves had so many great pitchers, they were able to move him to relief, which, to be honest, looked like his best position. And he had talked about going to the Arizona Fall League, also developing um, as a reliever, and one of his pitching coaches was like, just throw. Don't worry. Throw the ball. Mm -hmm. So in 1990... that was 1997 in Greenville. In 1998, he makes it to AAA Richmond, goes 1-1 one one with a 1.42 ERA. Um, only 19 innings pitched, not because he was hurt or because he was bad, but because the Atlanta Braves need a new reliever on their staff. So they call him up. They call him up, and uh, in 1998, he pitches 47 games. With a 2.13 ERA, goes one and three with two saves. He's basically emerged as their setup man for Kerry Lightenberg. So he straight up is their relief or their middle reliever. Yeah. And is He's getting a good those... lefty out of the pen, yep. too. Because guys like Lightenberg or a righty, Mark Wallers, who had already gone, was a right handed pitcher. He's your power guy and not like one of those loogie guys, like left handed one out guys with the funky delivery. He's coming in to stick it up your ass. Yeah, for two innings plus. That's something that is really, he, which really thickens up this Braves pitching staff. But this is the thing is. We see that he, right after 98, 99... Well, can happens? I get into 98? Oh, yeah. Please yeah. talk. So uh, the Braves, this is when they're winning oh, all yes. those uh, division championships. So they make the playoffs that year. Um, they sweep the Cubs. And in the NLDS, he has uh, one and a third innings pitch with one hit and two strikeouts. 0.0 ERA, yep. I should add. And then in the NLCS, which um, is my last erotic fantasy of baseball, they take on the Padres. And uh, while the Padres take a... Th- 3-0 series lead. The Braves fight back in games four and five to push it to a game six. And John Rocker's a huge reason why. Yep. Especially in the pivotal game five where Bochi had to waste Kevin Brown. Rocker comes in. He actually scores a run in the game in long relief. And yeah, I mean, he was really good in that series. They weren't beating Rocker. They were beating Leitenberg and the rest of Atlanta's starters. Good point. Yeah. So that while they end up losing, he goes into 99 thinking, all right, we have our setup, man. We have our middle reliever, but Leitenberg needs elbow surgery and is out for the season and basically ends his career. 
Rocker is the new closer for the Atlanta Braves in 99. <laughs> well, that's this is what I was trying to jump Sorry, to early man. to, but no, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the... Because whenever the pods are uh, in oh, question, we got to bring them up. Just, that's just what it is. Thank you, Sterling Hitchcock. Just uh, thank you. <laughs> but this is what I found so interesting in 99 is he was so good as a setup relief man, but then he gets immediately moved to the closer and you're like, oh, this might be even better for him because he has that mentality of like, I'm going to fuck up whoever is up next. To quote the late Bob Ross, let's get crazy. Oh, man. Oh, was let's he, get crazy. He was painting so many happy trees. Sometimes when he hit that. a batter in the helmet, we just call those happy accidents. <laughs> anyway, 99, he's the new close. Have you ever seen a picture, not to go off on a tangent, have you ever seen a picture of Kerry Lightenberg? Mm-hmm. That dude with the freaking side, uh, just like, Mattingly, shave those sideburns. A classic looking pitcher. I'll tell you what, oh, yeah. he has the classic looking. Uh, Long curly hair, like, oh God. Like he's going to take acid and, and pitch a no hitter kind of thing. Kind of like Doc Ellis. That's um, what I'm saying. But in 99, the Braves again win the division. Rocker has a great, like, on par with the likes of Billy Wagner, as far as being the NL's most dominant closer, and Trevor Hoffman and those guys goes four and five, two point four nine ERA, and seventy four games. He pitched seventy four games. Yep. We'll talk later about there's some speculation about various things that happened yeah. to this, but uh, yeah, pitched seventy four as as their closer in this dominant Braves team. Thirty eight saves and hundred and four strikeouts, and only seventy two and a third innings pitched. That's amazing. That's a great season for a first year closer. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, they make the playoffs, obviously, again. Uh, in the NLDS, he pitches two games, gets one save, um, actually helps record the final out of that series sweep against the Astros. Five strikeouts and 3.1 innings pitched. And then we get to the NLCS, Chris, against the New York Metropolitans. And he, leading up to this season as the closer, and this is what you just don't see in sports anymore. No, you at least don't. In American <laughs> sports, was he was talking a lot of shit to the Mets, Mets in the regular season. Yeah, and you know what's funny? He never really went off against the Phillies and their uh, organization. No, no, or their uh, paid attendance at Veterans Stadium. It, it it didn't really match up. And these are the same people that are descendants of or were booing Santa Claus. Well, he just had a pure hatred for New York, both Yankees and the Mets, but really for the Mets. And he would have these quotes that will, I mean... We'll get into the... It's it makes me think of a less cheeky Billy Martin. Where oh, yeah. Billy Martin was just like, ah, come on, we don't like what are we talking about here? He was literally like, no, 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 no. If you live in New York, you're the worst type of person ever. You're just you like, are a fucking troglodyte. Yeah, it is it is so bad leading up to it, but yeah, geez. So they get to the NLCS against the Mets, and uh he pitches all six games of this series. And the thing about Rocker in this series and when he faced the Mets, he was really good. He was really good, which made Mets fans angrier. But what Mets fans kind of figured out about Rocker, unlike guys like Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, they didn't let the New York fans get to them like Rocker did. And Rocker, while he was like, you know, a wrestling villain, bring it on, you could tell that it cut him to the core. It, and he would... Talking interviews, he was just like, no, 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 that never really got to me. You could see 
on the live footage you're just like oh yeah he's getting mad right now <laughs> like that's not and you don't like him when he's angry <laughs> i was gonna say sometimes it might have been detrimental to the mets because maybe he was pitching a little bit more but it, it, it's hard to say because he really kind of loses his shit a lot of the time. Yeah, and the thing is, um, so in this series, we talked about it in our Bobby Bow episode. The Braves go up 3-0, to zero and Rocker has basically mowing him down. Um, pitches all six games. He's having debris thrown at him. Beer was dumped on his girlfriend. They were whipping D-cells at him in the bullpen. Yep. He pitches six and two-thirds inning. Does not allow a run. The only run he allowed was in game five on an Ozzie Gian error where the runners that he inherited ended up scoring to push it to a game six. But luckily for John, Bobby Bow and Ricky Henderson were playing poker in the clubhouse. In the clubhouse. Um, this is what this is the other thing I found interesting is like the the everything. Game so, four of the Ozzie Gian one. I'm sorry, but yeah. But everything, like the way the fans were behaving, the way he was behaving, this is like the last gasp of it in yeah. baseball i feel like because he was pretty It'll much never happen again no he was talking shit you'll never see fans that unruly not being kicked out kind of shit like that where like they were dumping beer on his girlfriend's head which i thought was absolutely hilarious but <laughs> it, it's one of those things where it, it was a perfect just mix of this yeah like, and you know he fed on it too, but also like inside he probably really wanted to tell these people what for. But I mean, he had two saves and nine strikeouts. Yep. So I mean, completely dominated him. They go to the World Series against the Yankees, so he gets to play in New York again. Uh, except the Yankees sweep them. Yep. And he doesn't really have much of a role in the series because, well, only three innings pitched because you're not really using your closer when, you know, They're a get, dynasty is kicking the crap out of you. Yeah, they got dominated in that one. So it's a good season for John. You're thinking the sky's the limit for this fireball and lefty. And then December happens. And the Sports Illustrated interview with John Rocker comes out, written by Jeff Perlman. So just to put a timeline on this, it's about two months after the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, Perlman... Famous baseball writer, by the way. And he's also a Mets fan, I would like to point out as well. That's true, but he collects all of these quotes that he said. He it's not yeah, like he, it's, didn't he never say denied this. it. This, never not denied once, it. Not once would he was he Pete Rose in it. You would know? Uh, you like me to read some of these quotes? I got Chris. some too, because they're so unbelievable. All right, I'll go into the one uh Perlman asked him what do you if he would ever consider playing for a New York team? Well, let me let me preface this. This is the one that is the most famous yeah. and is the one that is the most ridiculous. So Rocker is quoted as saying, I would retire first. It's one of the most hectic, nerve-wracking cities. Imagine a nerve-wracking city. Imagine having to take the number seven train to the ballpark. Mind you, I'm quoting. I'm not saying this. Looking like you're riding through Beirut next to some kid with purple hair, next to some queer with AIDS, right next to some dude who just got out of jail for the fourth time, right next to some 20-year-old mom with four kids. It's depressing. And this was just one of the quotes. (laughs) Oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. And another one that I thought was kind of funny was uh, maybe in the coming season, Mike Piazza can hit a line drive and knock it into the, one of your 
fans' heads. He was talking about the Mets. Yeah. And it, it's so – he has so many of these quotes, and like you said, he never backed off from them. You want me to read the other one? Yeah. Okay. The biggest thing I don't like about New York are the foreigners. I'm not a very big fan of foreigners. You can walk through a block, an, an entire block in Times Square and not hear anybody speaking English. Asians and Koreans and Vietnamese and Indians and Russians and Spanish people and everything up there. How the hell did they get into the country? So just to... Can I say one thing about this quote? Mm. When you say Asians, that kind of just covers Koreans and Vietnamese and Indian. I mean... Well... This is the not, thing, not a good look, John. This is the thing that I wanted to bring up. It was he was a, an intelligent man where he had a good GPA, but man, was he fucking stupid. But you know what? If he had answered, if, if he had answered it like this, look, and I'm sure this is what he felt, but he had so much of that rage in him. If he had said something like, "I'm from rural Georgia. This city is like a weird Thunderdome. I want no part of it." And for the Mets fans whipping D-cell batteries at me and dumping beer on my girlfriend, you're pieces of human garbage. If he had said that, nobody would have cared. And what was it? Andy Richter had that joke on Conan where he called him Neanderthals. He's like, well, that might be true. Well, well, it was one of those things where he literally wasn't talking about Mets fans. He was talking about New Yorkers. Yeah. And like, uh, it's it's... He's not even talking about baseball at this point. No, he's talking he's, about he's like going literal, down a very. Yeah. Uh, he's just a good old boy, and he's just a man of his time in the '90s in Georgia. It was different. You don't understand. Will Ferrell, I will make you drink my pee. That's the kind of shit. And this is why. And we're about to get into it because his, his career was so short. But the fake quotes are almost not oh even as God. good as the fucking real oh, quotes. Well, uh, it's insane. They had asked Rocker about that and something we'll talk about later. And he was like, you know what? Because it's comedy, it's hilarious. Like, he never took any offense to it. He was just like, this is a parody. Of- well, this is something that I saw fellow baseball players that he played with that were black. And they were asked, they were like, well, do you think he's racist? And he's like, well, I don't think he's racist. I think he just kind of said some racist shit or yeah. some wild shit. But like, I know the man. But it's one of those things where he even had a quote where he was just like, I can't be racist. My best friend was born in, I, for, I for even forget what stupid ass uh, reason that he had. But it, it, he's one of those kind of thought processes where he was just yeah. like, I can't be. I played next to a black guy. I don't remember his name, but I mean, what's well, just the, saying? Tony Brune's quote about white liberals. Oh, I count my black friends. Yeah. <laughs> like... Well, I mean, he was a white conservative. Well, that's obviously, the, but uh, that's that's the literally it's both sides that have that mentality exactly. where they're just like, no, 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 I'm not. And you're just like, yeah, you? everything you just said was xenophobic and racist. So <laughs> yeah. it's hard to walk those back. So um, everyone's caught. Could you imagine if he said this now? That's this oh, is, my God. This is what I mean. This is the last gasp. Same with the fans. The fans yeah. acted unbelievably horrible. But it's this last gasp of just like hatred. Yeah, between, it's like vitriol. <laughs> like it, it, it's 
almost a lack of professionalism that we're missing. Yeah. That's that what missing. I want. The cheeky clownish professionalism. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so shit hits the fan. Hank Aaron was quoted as saying that this was somebody who just comes from a mentally disturbed place. Um, Bud Selig and MLB are basically forced to suspend him for 73 days. He issues an apology, but he never walks back anything that he said. He's like, I'm sorry I said this. This is the first and I believe only time that baseball's ever suspended somebody for very for the only thing was verbal comments. Yeah. I mean, and it's verbal comments like because they'll get on people's asses now, like, yes, crapping is- on like umpires and things like that. But yeah, it's I mean, this is the first and only time. Um 2000 season, though, uh, 59 games, uh, 24 saves, a 2.89 ERA with 77 strikeouts. But uh, unfortunately for Rocker and the Braves, they lose in the NLDS, and he only pitches two-thirds of an inning. And this is when we start to see he has a pinched nerve in his neck and his rotator cuff, two of the five muscles are like 85% torn. Like his, his arm starts giving out. There might be a reason for that. Well, and do you want to go into that reason? Because he has admitted it. Um, uh, he 100% admitted it. I want to say this. I distinctly remember him leaving baseball, and I remember thinking it was because teams didn't want to pick him up because he had a bunch of extra baggage. No. Looking back, it was straight up because his shoulder like died. He just goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pitching 100, 101. In, in, in an offseason, it literally went to like 80, 82, and you're just like, yeah, he couldn't be a professional pitcher anymore because teams kept signing him after this keeps up trading for him it's not like here's the thing and he had talked about how bud selig sent him to sensitivity training he said he went for 15 minutes each time and didn't even give a shit mlb teams and professional sports owners not to go on a rant they're terrible people they don't care they care about the bottom line and whether you can play or not deshaun watson perfect example right now granted rocker did none of that or is accused of none of that but all i'm saying is if you can play, they'll find a spot for you. Yeah, it's sports. It's sports watching. He, the so. reason his career wasn't extended was because of his arm giving out. Yep. Not because of what he said or anything that he did. If he was one of the best relief pitchers, he you. This is the thing that I kind of wish is we would have had fucking fifty more quotes. Oh, I wanted That's, ten more years yeah. of John Rocker for the love of God. Him getting traded to the Yankees. Oh, like, <laughs> obviously not the Mets, but I'm just saying to the Yankees. You mean Jew York? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so in 2001, um, he's actually tops in the NL and saves um, about midway through the season in 30 games. He's got a little over a three ERA, 19 saves, 36 strikeouts, and 32 innings pitched. But on June 22nd, the Cleveland Indians are in a pennant race, and they need a reliever, and they trade Steve Carsey and Steve Reed for Rocker and minor leaguer Troy Cameron. And he becomes Cleveland's setup guy. Only going into the American League of the steroid era, his performance starts to tumble, and he finishes his uh, stint in Cleveland with a 3-7 and seven record with a 5.45 ERA. I was going to say, this is where we really see him get lit up. And, and he only pitches an inning in their ALDS yep. loss to the Mariners, and after that, Cleveland's had enough because he's not throwing 100 miles an hour anymore. Um, on December 18th, 2001, he's traded to the Texas Rangers for uh, Dave Elder, but is only two and three with a six 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 ERA, which was pretty lovely. Yeah, which is pretty uh, pretty nice. Um, and was released in the off season. Yes. So unfortunately for John, in uh, two thousand three, um, on April tenth, he signed by the Tampa Bay Rays. Pitches only one inning, 
has a nine ERA and is released June 27th, 2003 and never plays in major league baseball again. Um, I think part of the reason why, as we discussed earlier is the injuries, but, uh, do you think there might have been something else causing those injuries? Chris? Well, he did go down into Mexico and play. Did Oh, no, wait, that was a different man. Yep. Excuse me. Uh-huh. Um, so this is what we were alluding to earlier in which he came out and said that was completely true in the 98, 99, 2000 was he was on steroids. And that's why his shoulder possibly went out was he pitched too many innings, too much working strain. out too much strain but what he talked about and it's something go listen to our drugs and baseball series um that's actually quite popular and i think you'll enjoy it um i know i'd brought this up before but what rocker had basically said was yeah i took steroids they weren't testing for it How, they, the whole weight of the organization was on me like i could get more money i needed to exceed expectations so why not and this was the other thing was it was so prevalent that he was just kind of like, yeah, everybody was. It, and it, what I don't feel like people think about is steroids and pitching, which no. it was. It really was. And C- Kurt Schilling used to rail against that too. How much he was like, you think the batters are the only ones doing this? Yeah, like think again. Uh, so he he retires. He retires, but, but he's still, still quotable. Yeah, I was gonna say he's still in the limelight. So uh, in 2002, he hurled some homo- uh, anti-homosexual slurs at a Dallas restaurant, which is uh, always uh, you know something anyone does. Um, in 2006, after Ozzy Guillen referred to sports writer Jay Mariotti as a fag. Um, by the way, Jay Mariotti is an enormous douchebag. Fag, probably not the correct term to use but he's a giant douche but john rocker stuck up for his old teammate ozzy by saying uh basically randy marsh this is america you know like uh i'm sorry i thought this was america (laughs) but uh he also uh found some uh television fame after this as well yeah he uh he was on survivor yeah I don't know. I don't know how Survivor works. A couple of weeks or some shit like that. Yeah, he was a third person voted out, uh, mostly after most of the cast found out who the hell he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He went there with his lady friend at the time. Um, He also... uh, I did want to bring one thing up about him, because it is something that is a positive um, that I had learned about John Rocker. He is part of an organization, helped start an organization called... um, uh, save homeless veterans. Oh yes. So this is a charity that he goes, you know, around and gives money to and creates awareness for where basically veterans who get screwed over by the VA and everything and come back home and have nowhere to live, no way to ingratiate themselves into society. Like I've seen interviews with these people talking about what an important part of their lives, um, he's been for them and, um, saw a great interview on vice about the organization and, He basically says, look, I've done some messed up things in my entire life, but this name recognition honestly helps me to where people can, you know, they can see all of the other stuff, but they'll always see Save Homeless Veterans. Yeah. You know, so not all bad. Well, it kind of, you know, take back away from that is... uh if the veterans were black and or gay, he does not help them. Oh, That's the only on. thing that sucks. Come on. No, there kidding. were plenty of them in that Just interview. kidding. I, I definitely saw veterans that said, like, literally he saved their life and that kind of shit. But let's get into his other impact because he yeah. definitely has some 
good uh, charitable work. I'm not, I'll never talk shit on that. That is something that is definitely needed more is uh, veteran outreach. But man, let's get into the... Who we inspired. Who we inspired. Because it, on SNL... Will Ferrell played him for a couple of episodes, yeah. for a couple of skits. Because he's an easy target, and, and this... Will Ferrell has been known to get kind of crazy and over the top in bits, and being John Rocker was one of them where it was freaking hilarious. And this spawned what would be one of the funnier shows, I would say, ever. Will Ferrell was executive producer of yeah. a show called Eastbound and Down. That's right. Where the pitcher... In the show, he's a washed-out former major league reliever who started his career in Atlanta named Kenny Powers, played by Danny McBride. Someone who was born two years after John Rocker in the same Statesboro, Georgia hospital. and That's destiny. That is destiny, but it's also, holy crap, there are a lot of parallels. Yep. Because... Kenny Powers is a hard partying, does not care what people think of him, relief pitcher. Well, that was the reference that they said, uh, that you said earlier with Jew York. That was one of the things that he said. And like, in retrospect, that's not even as bad as the stuff that Rocker was saying. This is what I mean, where it was like Billy Martin was funny. This was really just like hateful. This was jarring. And yeah, and that's what the Kenny Powers thing, it was like, it was absolutely hilarious. But the quote that I that I love was about Eastbound and Down is uh, Kenny Powers looks like Mike Piazza, but he's hit with a frying pan with John Rocker's personality. That is amazing. And it's just like, yes, yes, that's a perfect description of this, of these, of this gentleman. Can I wear the scream mask? Yeah. You know, the mask from scream. Can I, can I wear the scream mask? I'm going to shaboos. But no, John Rocker, a very entertaining, um, very controversial, very successful for that short window relief pitcher in Major League Baseball, and not going to lie, very interesting episode for us to do. Probably won't see a man like him in professional sports again. Which is good, but also very bad. Yep, it's both. Yeah, it's both. You get a little column A and a little column B there. Thank you all. Thanks.